Okay, Mary, so with the background that I'm familiar that you have, and perhaps you could share it share it now, is it seems inevitable that you would move to something like this. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been an interesting topic of debate in my household for sure. Um, because I basically came straight from the White Earth Ojibwe Reservation in Minnesota back to Gisborne and I set this initiative up. And before and that so, you were in Egypt. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and people kind of say, oh, so now you're a bodybuilder because I don't really understand the wider kaupapa. But for me, um, being someone that's done a lot of environmental work, has looked at issues like food chain contamination in New Zealand. We had a high use of pesticides, which are still around, um, and have affected the genetic makeup of New Zealanders. Um, So people like Muriel Watts have been doing research for years, um, looking at the impacts of contaminated foods, and research shows that a lot of the cancers we are now dealing with have a direct link to um, those contaminated foods <laughs> or historical exposure that occurred um, through the use of things like 2,4-D, 2,4-5-T, which are manufactured by Dow. So I did a lot of environmental campaigning with Greenpeace and Party Tutu. I've always been aware of those issues. Um, so for me, coming from there, going through a journey internationally with other indigenous people whose lands have been used as dumping grounds for <laughs> toxic chemicals, um, this was more of a proactive approach to, I guess, um, helping people prevent <laughs> the risk um, of, of contracting the disease later in life. So, But on another instead level... Instead of just standing on, on sidelines, which is what I felt like I was doing... Um, raising my fist in the air, protesting. This is, for me, another strategy, and it gets right to the heart of the problem. (laughs) And that's people's choices, you know. So we're all about transforming people. But you know what, Mere, some people would say that as a colonised people, we have very limited choices anyway, but psychologically, the stuff that we impose upon ourselves... Well, that's right. But also the stuff that's imposed upon us. Absolutely. You know, um, and I listen to a lot of people talking about decolonisation, but the context in which that is being talked about is very much, you know, decolonisation of of the mind. The good old Bob Bob Marley (laughs) song we hear every day, you know, free yourself from mental mental slavery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is kind of like adding on to that and saying, well, emancipation, emancipate yourself from physical slavery because that's what basically is happening to our people in this day and age when we decide to be addicted to certain foods which multinational corporations are feeding us. Cigarettes, alcohol. Absolutely, food additives, drugs, alcohol. It's all the same. So in that sense, um, for me, this is about It's about taking control back of yourself and that really starts with um, having a healthy body, (laughs) you know. Don't talk to me about decolonisation if you're going to run down the road next minute and have a smoke, have alcohol, have a drugs. Eat bad kai, have a McDonald's, even though we all have to do it at some point, but it's about having a balance. So um, that's why I love this kaupapa, and that's why I kind of evolved from activism to look at fitness as a vehicle. You know, and... Uh, Native American academic Karina Walters talks about the way in which indigenous people, our relationship to food, uh, the impact that's had on us psychologically and, and you know obviously health-wise, 
and the example she used was how um, mo- mothers would chew food, give it to their baby, and then just keep on feeding their babies. So this is, you know, we're talking way, way back, and how that hasn't stopped. Right. You know, how we were having a bit of a laugh before about the use of bread. You know, I know when I was growing up, poor family, you know, we, everyone was poor. <laughs> you know, so it was all relative. So we didn't think we were poor, but, you know, you look back on it and think we were pretty poor. But, um, you know, and my parents would always say, are you full? If you're not full, eat more bread. Right. So that was like right. our staple. It was like feeding us to make sure that we had enough kai. I mean, and when I look back on it now, I mean, it was good intentions. But in a way, you know, we all laugh about how bread is such a staple of the Māori diet. And I see it now. I see it with my nephews, my nieces, filling up with bread. And just how that kind of generational use of food can carry on and on and on and on. And I guess from what you've just said, it's like almost putting a halt to that A and starting again. Yeah, or, or adapting it and slowly weaning yourself off, off that thing. I mean, you've brought something up that's really important and then that is um, the intrinsic relationships we have with our kai and also how those relate to our relationships with each other. <laughs> you know, and that's something that we need to really hold on to in this modern world. So I think by even looking at traditional kai, and that's one thing um, we're, we're adapting. traditional kai, though. You know, sometimes the traditional... Foods that our body bodies are built for. So we're not built for cars, for instance. Those are foods introduced. Um, a lot of our traditional diet consisted of seafoods, um, plant foods from the forest, um, kumbara. So with our diet, um, we try and encourage a return to some of those foods um, so we are very much about cutting down the carbs <laughs> which is your chips and all <laughs> that kind of bad kai um, but at the same time you can still have bread just make sure it's the right kind of bread you know go for gluten free wheat, wheat you know um, whole grain breads so it's a process of education um, you don't want to totally throw something in someone's face and they, it's so foreign that they can't adjust the idea is to set up a process for them to follow so that they can eventually come out the other side and be like, okay, I don't need bread today. <laughs> I don't need my tomato sauce on, and whatever, you know, um, hot dog today. <laughs> my fish and chips on Friday. Um, and I think having a kaupapa just reinforces that. So, um, Also later this year, I'm planning to go to Brisbane to do a workshop with our people over there on the Gold Coast. And then after that, in August, I've been talking to Winona Leduc about um, going over to Ojibwe country because they're amazing. Like They still have a lot of their traditional foods and perfect foods for, um, for bodybuilding and building you know, health and nutrition. So they have this superfood called wild rice, which is it's a carbohydrate, but it's also high in protein, iron, all sorts of minerals. And... We've been involving this concept called Native Trade, which is identifying traditional Ojibwe foods that we might want to trade with here. Like, we might want to trade some kumara for some wild rice, for instance. <laughs> so that's kind of what I want to do, is take chump change over to the Ojibwe's, um, develop a diet based on their traditional foods, or incorporating their traditional foods with, obviously, modern convenience foods that are accessible. 
Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, like, just create this global movement, <laughs> health movement. <laughs> I mean, anything could happen, but it's probably a far way off. <laughs> it just depends who decides to uh, help the share, I guess, as to how far we can go. Mm. And that's one thing I have to be thankful for is um, I might be the head of, of the organisation or the face, but there's been like 50 people behind me doing stuff along the way. Um, and actually, in the whole scheme of things, my role's been really small. <laughs> you know, I've just given a voice to this copa, but it's been the people um, driving it who are part of it that have made it explode into what it is today.